0: It was beautiful worship, beautiful worship. I just wanna give a few shout outs to some of our online viewers on our online campus. I wanna say hello to Gwen in Mexico, to the Nichols family in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Kathy and Tony in Clearwater, and also Rachel from Georgia. God bless you. We are so glad that you're joining us today. Can we give a hand? To our online audience, thank you. You're just as much a part of who we are. Even though you're watching from home, we want you to know that we love you, we care for you, we're so glad that you're with us, as much as if you were right here in this room with us, and we hope that you can be someday. So I know that you're expecting Pastor Glenn today, and Pastor Glenn is a little bit under the weather, so yesterday we were concerned, of course, so we went ahead, And he got one of those rapid COVID tests, and he is negative, praise God, (laughs) but a little under the weather, so we'll keep him in prayer. And I know, I mean, you're probably like me, you love hearing Pastor Glenn. For the last probably 20 years, he's been my favorite preacher to listen to, but you're just stuck with me today. You're stuck with me. But having... (laughs) Well, it's okay. <laughs> Having said that, it is, it is not the end of the world. Actually, our message today is kind of about the end of the world. So it is the end of the world. Right. Let you know what's happening with this series. This is a three-week series. This is part one. In two weeks, the last part of our series, we're going to do uh, a message called Snapshots of Revelation. And it's just going to be like an overview and maybe hitting some key points in Revelation. Do the best we can in 35 minutes. It's, it's a lot to talk about. But we may touch on things like 666, the Mark of the Beast. And maybe, we'll see. Uh, we're also going to touch on some things that I think are even more crucial. Next week, Pastor Glenn is going to be teaching on what Judgment Day Looks like. And I assure you, Jesus is going to make that a good day for you. But you will want to hear about Judgment Day. Don't miss next week. Today, we're talking about one of my favorite subjects of all, and that is the return of Jesus. <clears throat> Amen. So, about his return and things relating to his return, Jesus said, No one knows the day or the hour of that return. No one knows the day or the hour. The Father knows. That's it. So um, this has frustrated some people over the millennia because people want to know, right? People want to be able to pin it down. People want to be able to predict. I've heard some people say, well, the day or the hour, but he didn't say you couldn't know the week or the month. You know, we can, we can predict that, but it's kind of missing the point. I want to do a, a very brief survey of some, in my lifetime at any rate, some of the predictions about exactly when Jesus would return. Some of the, if you've been in church for a while, you might remember some of these things. But back in the day, uh, you remember... 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Returning in 1988. There was a, yeah, you remember. There was a book that was written, I won't say the guy's name, but 88 Reasons and, you know, looked at different passages in the Bible, maybe out of context. And look at the news. I mean, this was a big thing. People were saying back then, look, if you just look at the news, what's going on right now in 1988, it is obvious it is going to be this year. All the crazy stuff that is happening in the world. So their prediction was between September 11th and September 13th of 1988. And then he wrote another book <laughs> called 89 Reasons. <laughs> and people said the same thing, just look at the news. It's, he was off by a year, but eighty. it's gonna be this year? Well, okay. How many of you remember Y2K? Yes, the digital apocalypse, right? Because of how the computers would turn over. It's, everything's going to end, the grid's going to go down, it's going to be like Mad Max. Those of you that know what that is, I'm sorry if you don't. But it's just going to be an apocalyptic world. You'd better hunker down and save some food. There was, there was a couple of guys that came to my brother uh, right before Y2K and one of them said to him, you love that wife of yours? And he's like, yes. He said, well, if you love that wife of yours, you know, we've got a bunker out in the Ozarks and we're loaded up with food and ammunition. You'd take that wife of yours and you would secure her person. And my brother was like, Thank you, I'm, I'm not bringing my wife to your bunker for Y2K. Well, Y2K came and went. Uh, Jesus did not return. How about the, the 2012, the Mayan calendar thing? Okay, which I know there's people like, you got it wrong. And at any rate, December 21st or 2nd was supposed to be the day, and people looked, said, look at the news. I mean, just look at the news, the tornadoes, the the mass murders, there's there an election. <laughs> look at the news, it's gonna be this year, obviously. And then some of you might remember 2015, the blood moon. Remember that, the whole the moon things, all these different moons? 2015 was gonna be was September, October. And look at the news, in 2015, the terrorist attacks, the... Rise of Islamic, you know, state out there, the caliphate, and, and the racial injustice. There were some terrible things going on that year. Just look at the news. It's going to be 2015. Jesus will return. And then my my personal favorite was uh, the prediction that October 19th at 8 a.m. Jesus would return, and, and this was predicted by Michael Stiefel, who was a, math, a very brilliant mathematician, figured out a new way to solve quadratic equations. And he's like, look at the news. It's, of course, the year was 1533 when he predicted this. Um, Jesus did not come back in 1533, I just, just so you know. But he's the same thing. He's like, look at the news. I mean, Austria and the Ottoman Empire, they, they've got a peace treaty. That's crazy, Pope Clement VII just excommunicated King Henry VIII. This is the year. Look at the news. So all this being said, I think if you want to understand Jesus's actual return, what is the one place you should probably not focus? The The news, I agree, right. I think, just for what it's worth, the best way to understand the return of Jesus is to understand the Bible, okay? Not just the parts of the Bible that relate to his return, ultimately, this is kind of on you a little bit, but the whole Bible. Today we're gonna touch on just a few areas and I think you're gonna be greatly encouraged. If you have your Bible with you today, feel free to hold it up, and if not, you can hold up your notes or if you have it on your device. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Father, for just working in the soil of our hearts to receive what you wish to plant there in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, here's some basics about the Bible. The Bible is a collection of 66 books, 66 different books written by at least 40 different authors over a period of over well over 1,000 years. And yet all of these divergent books over this long period of time tell an interwoven unified story about, it's a narrative about God's faithful covenant love to a faithless people culminating in the person of Jesus Christ. And the story of Jesus has a beginning, a middle, and the end is yet to come. This is what is so awesome. The Bible's story is open-ended. The revelation from the Bible, you know, that's, that's ended. We're not getting new Bible, okay? But the story that it presents has an end that is yet to come. So there's over 20% of the Bible that is devoted to prophecy. So many people have been moved by the prophecies of Jesus' first coming that came to pass. There have even been skeptics and agnostics and atheists who looking at the probability of all those prophecies from hundreds and hundreds of years before coming true in the way they did in the person of Jesus, that being a chance, just the probability of that happening by accident is an astronomical, you know, probability. It's almost certainly not the case. So people have come to consider Christ for the first time because of those prophecies. But it's been estimated that five times as many prophecies are in the Scripture relating to Jesus' second coming as to his first. Five times as many. So the Bible really cares deeply about this and so does God. I want to introduce you to a group of Christians to a church in the early church of the first century AD, this is maybe 20 or 30 years after Jesus, a church in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians, it was not a big church, there was probably a few dozen people at first. But they mattered deeply to Paul. You know, in in this early Christians, one of the things that they had that we really need to recapture, they had an urgency about the return of Jesus. They didn't know when Jesus was going to return. It could be 5,000 years. It could be on Thursday. And they lived like it could be at any time. And of course, in our personal lives, it could be at any time, right? And it could be at any time that He returns. Because they lived this way, they had a concern. What about our brothers and sisters in Christ who died? Are they going to experience His return? What if I die? Am I gonna experience his return? They were worried about this. So Paul wrote a letter addressing this, among other issues, trying to put their hearts at ease. Now, the way that these scriptures were read at that time is they didn't have the New Testament yet in a book where they could read, right? Um, They didn't have screens, devices. So what would happen is someone would read the letter Paul wrote to the whole church. So this section, we are going to look at it on the screen later, but this section, I want you to encounter these words the way the Thessalonians would have encountered it. Just listen as as if you're hearing it for the first time. Remember, you've got a concern. What happens to me or my loved ones who are dead if Jesus returns? Listen to what Paul writes. Brothers and sisters, We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Imagine hearing that for the first time. This is the hope that we have as Christians the great hope, the firm hope, the steady hope. And here I want to focus on three reasons to be encouraged. The first one is the return. Christ is coming again. He's coming again. Listen to what Jesus himself said in John chapter 14. He said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. Can you say that with me? I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Wow. There was a greeting that they had in the early church, not just in, not just the Thessalonians, but all the early church folks. And that greeting was this word, Maranatha, from the Aramaic, Maranatha. And it meant, our Lord comes. So they would say hello to each other that way, Maranatha. They would say goodbye to each other that way, Maranatha. We don't say hello and goodbye that way today, very much, do we? How do we say hello? Hey! Sop! That one's a little bit better. What's up? You know, I, I like that. Oh, have a great day. Bye. See you later. Maranatha. Our Lord comes is how they. There, there's one we did in Bible college, which was kind of cool. Uh, actually, even before that, when I was in high school with a group of Christians, we used to say, See you here, there, or in the air. I know, it's really nerdy, isn't it? But here they're in the air. Yeah, that's what we did. So the whole point is, is that what they were doing with Maranatha is looking forward to his return. It wasn't something that they dreaded. They wanted it, they longed for it. This is something that we could learn a lot from today. Now, have you ever been in a place in your life where you're just not ready for Jesus to return yet? okay, I was the only one. So, I remember, again, in Bible college, and I had just started it, and there was this missions conference in the church that was attached to the Bible college, and I, you know, I was thinking, maybe the mission field, maybe pastoring, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I went and I sat in a pew next to these two much, much older, a much older married couple that were there. They were in their 20s. And we got you know conversing in between speakers, and I remember they turned to me and said, so, so what are you doing here? I said, oh, I'm, I'm in the Bible college, I'm in training. Well, when will you be done? I'm like, well, I just started, so a little over three and a half years for my bachelors. And they looked at each other and they were like, I'm like, what? They're like, don't you realize, Jesus is coming very soon, very, very soon. Three and a half, almost four years? That's crazy. You want to be sitting at your desk doing homework when Jesus comes back? We went through a training program for two weeks. You should really consider that. And I'm like, oh, no. I mean, you know, I was like seven, almost 18 years old. and I'm like, oh, what do I do? This is, am I wasting my life here at Bible college when I should be, I should be making it quick? It really bothered me. Well, so for the next almost four years, I was like, please don't come back yet, Lord. Please don't. Please don't. I feel like I'm failing you. But the point is not to get out of college or to stop studying, but to serve him while you are preparing. If you're serving him while you're preparing and while you're doing these other things, that's, you know, it's all good. God wants you to build his kingdom. But anyway, they they freaked me out a little bit. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So what does it mean, those who fall asleep in him? This is not talking about being bored and falling asleep in church. It's not. It's talking about Christians who died. In fact, the same word and phrasing is used here as when Jesus was talking about the death of Lazarus in John chapter 11. So he's talking about death. But listen to the hope that Paul gives in verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with a trumpet call of God, and the dead In Christ, will rise first. So God speaks. Michael the archangel cries out. A trumpet sounds. You know, it's like all these noises. The greatest victory demands the greatest shout. And it will be the greatest victory. So when it talks about the dead in Christ here, this is not referring to the general resurrection of all humans, uh, which is going to come later. Apparently there are two... Resurrections. We see this referred to in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, where John writes, blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. So there's a first resurrection, we are with Jesus, and there will apparently be a second resurrection. But I wanna look at this term second death for a moment here. What is that talking about? There are basically two ways to go through this cycle of existence. The first one is when we receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We are born physically, right? We're all born physically, and then when we receive his forgiveness, we're born again, and then we die physically. After that, eternal life. So born twice, die once or there's another cycle which is to be born physically to die physically and then having not received his forgiveness to die eternally and this is called the second death eternal separation from God so these are the choices born once die twice born twice die just once Few years ago, people would right before they did something really stupid, you know, they would shout out "Yolo." Remember that? You only live once. So it's like you know, bungee jumping off the Matterhorn or you know, alligator wrestling, and it's like Yolo. And I just want to encourage you. That's fake news. You don't only live once. But if you know Christ, you only die once. You only die once. So the second point of encouragement in these verses is the rapture. Living Christians are taken away. And I don't want you to get too focused on this terminology of rapture. You can think of it simply as being caught up in the air. That's a very biblical way of looking at it. But this is verse 17. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them, that's the dead who have risen again, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And here's the concept that we're talking about here is to be caught up, to be seized, to be caught, um, to take away to safety. Have you ever been in a situation where you just needed someone to snatch you up And it was someone that was picking you up. Maybe you were a child. So I know I talk about Bible college years a lot. And you might have the impression that in Bible college we were all these saintly, intelligent kids. We were sometimes very stupid. I remember one fourth of July. I had a classmate who lived in the dorm with us that had a great idea send up homemade rockets blasting into the air. So, he took these wooden dowels and just strapped like a model rocket motor to it. And then he thought it'd be a good idea to take an empty CO2 canister, metal one, and stuff it with gunpowder and put it at the end of the rocket motor so that when it burned up, it would ignite, you know, the the gunpowder in the canister and it would explode. Kind of like homemade fireworks, right? So 4th of July comes, it's daytime, it's not even nighttime. And he's shooting up these things in the air and it's kind of working as advertised and nobody's hit by shrapnel yet. And then he says, wouldn't it be cool if I took two motors and taped them together so that when one finishes, the other one would start and it'll go twice as high and then (laughs) blow up the canister. So he shot that thing up in the air and the one motor burned up, and there was a delay between that one burning up and the second one igniting. And during the delay, the rocket pointed down. And then the second motor ignited. And there's a missile coming towards us. And everyone scatters except for me. I'm like... And I'm watching this thing get bigger and bigger. And fortunately, one of the older students saw me standing there ready to be, you know, like, grenaded, and he jumped and pushed me out of the way and, you know, saved me, except that actually the thing swerved at the last minute, went harmlessly into a field, so I was like, why'd you push me? But then the point is to be snatched up, to be taken away, to be taken to safety. And this is ultimately what he will do for us, whether that is after we've died in the grave or when we're alive, when he comes back. This caught up together with him in the air. Now, there's a lot of different opinions about the rapture and when it takes place. Uh, Okay, briefly. There's a seven-year period of tribulation that's described in the book of Revelation. There are some people... Uh, that are very, uh, everybody's very strong in their beliefs on this, that has an opinion. There's some people who believe that the rapture will take place before the seven years. And they are called pre-tribulation raptures, pre-people, okay? And then there are some that say that it'll happen halfway through the tribulation. I had a teacher in Bible college that thought this. And they say, so they're mid-tribulation rapture people. Pre and mid. And then there's people that say it'll be after the seven year tribulation. Those are post tribulation people. So pre, mid, and post. Some are pan tribulation. Some people believe it is symbolism. So here's my suggestion to you take it for what it's worth. Pray for pre, prepare for post, live like mid, and it will all pan out. (laughs) Take it for what it's worth. But the Bible does say that there will be an element of the sudden and the unexpected. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, One will be taken and the other left. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Revelation chapter 16. This is Jesus speaking in Revelation. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Now there's a very good chance that he's speaking metaphorically here about being ready, right? And not talking about literal clothing, but let's just just in case, let's explore that for a minute. I know that there's two kinds of people in this room. There are those that go to bed with clothes on. (laughs) And then there are those that do not. So, if an emergency happens, (laughs) I don't know if you thought about this, if there's an emergency, just keep some easy-to-put-on clothes very, next, very near your bed, right? Because like if there's a fire alarm, because a smoke alarm, it's an emergency. There's flames and smoke. Uh, you know, you need to have those clothes very handy. Otherwise, what will happen? You will be shamefully exposed. Now, I, again, I think the Bible is talking here about our hearts being ready more than anything else, but I don't think it's saying you have to shower with your shorts on, you know, kind of like, remember camp? Yeah, it's like nobody showers naked at camp except weird people. So, I'm sorry. But you don't have to be like you're at camp all the time. The point is to be ready. And then the third point of encouragement for you is the reunion. The reunion. Christians will be with God forever. Listen to how Paul finishes this section out. After that, We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words. Think about what being with him forever means. To be with the one for whom your soul has longed your whole life, even before you realized it was him you were longing for. To have the love of your soul by you and with you. Now, when you die, let's clarify this. When you die, where do you go? It says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when you die, as a Christian, as someone who's received his forgiveness, You are with Jesus. And in the future, there will be a resurrection. You will be given a new glorified body along the lines of Jesus' new glorified body. This is, I don't know if you know that. this is like what the New Testament kind of is more about than heaven. It's about this resurrection thing. So when you're resurrected, what happens then? you will be with Jesus. So when you die, you will be with Jesus. When you're resurrected from the dead, you will be with Jesus. The point is, you're going to be with Jesus. This is an enormous thing to be encouraged about. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Resurrected bodies, present with the Lord. So how does the Bible tell us to encourage each other? I'll tell you, does does the Bible say, when things get bad, stock up on spam? and bullets. So first, the reason you wanna stock up on spam and bullets is so first of all you'll have something to trade during the apocalypse, and second, so you'll have something to kill intruders with. That would be the spam. You know. <laughs> or actually, probably better you know, if an intruder comes in and says, hey, before you kill us all and take our stuff, let me just fry you up some meat. It's gonna smell good. You're gonna love this, you know. I think that's how you kill intruders. And don't forget the toilet paper. I guess that's to clean up the mess. But no, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, encourage each other with these words. We will be with the Lord forever. Eternity is what matters. Eternity is what matters. Okay, Paul wraps some of these things up in a different letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. Read this along with me in your minds as this is on the screen. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand Firm, can you say that? Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Wow. Be ready, but also be busy about his work as a part of his bride so that we can link arms together so that we can populate the kingdom of heaven together until he returns. Marana Tha. Lord, come. Lord Jesus, come. So think to yourself what do you want to be doing when he returns? What is it that you would like to be doing? I think about a ministry that we all are involved in together, whether by your giving or by your participation or both. Called Helping Hands, where we give groceries to hungry and needy families in the community. Several times a week, we have a mobile ministry that goes to different communities, and twice a week it's here. The hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families every week that receive help, you're busy about that work. In fact, just yesterday, I think there were about 20 of our young adults that worked for hours giving out food. And of course, there's people that are there several times a week on a regular basis. God is using you. And as I think about some of the young adults that were there, if Jesus were to have returned at that moment, oh, what an honor to be in the midst of serving him and loving others when he returns. To be in the midst of forgiving someone who has harmed you. We have another ministry that many of you are participating in just this week, Operation Christmas Child. There are families that are gonna be receiving these boxes of presents in 160 countries. And it's not just presents. They put the gospel in these boxes. They get to hear about Jesus. Entire families are affected just a little piece of business. Today is the last day to pick up, your last Sunday to pick up your box. So you wanna do that today if you still wanna participate. And next Sunday is the last Sunday to bring it back. Please don't forget to bring it back by next Sunday or, or we may not be able to send it out. So next Sunday, bring those back. But think of what you are doing and think of Jesus' heart swelling as he sees you in the midst of serving others, of being generous, of loving others, and through your church spreading the gospel. That's why we take the gospel so seriously here every week. We know his return is imminent. His return is imminent. He could come back tomorrow. And most certainly... He will come back for some of his children tomorrow, personally, individually. We do not know the day or the hour. Remember though that the return is not something to dread. It's not really the end. I know we call this end times and end of the world and all that, but it's not really. Biblically, it's the beginning. This is the beginning. The Bible doesn't end with destruction. It ends with renewal, a new heavens and a new earth. More about that in two weeks. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody looking around. If you've come to church today and you have not received that free gift of forgiveness that Christ offers you, maybe you've thought, I just need to get my act cleaned up first get things in order in my life, and then maybe, then maybe I'll start to earn God's favor. I want to encourage you, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not the message of the New Testament. The message is, come as you are, messed up, just as your life is, without having done anything to clean it up yet. Nothing. I'm giving you forgiveness and new life as a gift. It's a gift of grace. Undeserved favor is what grace is. And once you've received that grace, I'm gonna create something new in you. You will be born anew. I will begin to live my life through you. The Lord Jesus is calling you. And that's why you've been feeling this tug on your heart. What better day than a Sunday where we're talking about Jesus' return to honor him by receiving that gift of forgiveness? What better day So I'm going to say a prayer in a moment. And if you'd like to be included in this prayer, just a second, I'm going to count to three, ask you to raise your hand. And the eyes are closed, the heads are bowed, nobody's looking around. I'm not going to call you out or ask you to stand up or anything like that. But when I count to three, you slip your hand up. As soon as I see it, you can put it right back down. That's just so I know you want to be included in this prayer. It's between you, me, and God. So when we count to three if you want to be included in this prayer, just slip your hand right up as soon as I see it, put it right back down. One, two, three. Lift your hand, I see your hand, and yours, and yours, and yours, and yours, I'm in this right section, in the middle. I see yours, yes, and yours, sir, thank you, and yours, and yours. To my left, yours, and yours, and yours, yes, I see your hand, and your hand, and yours, and yours. Thank you, thank you, sir, thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Anyone else want to be included in this prayer? Yes, thank you, thank you. For the sake of all those that raise their hands today, would you say this prayer after me with them? Father, Father I, come I come to you in Jesus' name. In Jesus name. I, know sinner, I know I'm a sinner, but I know you sent your son, you sent your son. To, die to die for me. I receive his forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness. I make you Lord Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, my God, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Can we just praise him right now for what he's doing in this place? I want you to know, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, God always answers yes to a sincere heart. And today is your birthday. It's your new day. Would you all stand with me for a moment to receive a blessing? And for those who are at home online, you can just turn your palms upward in an attitude of receiving, and you can do that in this place as well. So I wanna bless you, a special blessing. May you be blessed today with the joy of the hope of Jesus' return. May you be blessed today with the encouragement of his love. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, God's good. So I'll see you here, there, or in the air, God bless. What an incredible service here this Sunday. We are so glad that you joined us today and we're excited for you to join us again next week. If you made the decision to follow Jesus, I want you to know that you are not alone. We are here with you. We're here to support you. If you have questions, if you need help, if you need prayer, go to countryside.cc prayer. We're here for you. We're praying for you and we love you. See you guys next week.